0: You know what a lube chip is?
1: A lube chip. No. No.
0: Lube chips. For years, I've had a sign out on an aid station that says, help prevent the spread of lube chips. And lube chips are when um, somebody comes into the aid station, they dive their meaty little fist into the Vaseline jar or whatever, and then they rub rub that all over their nether bits and their butthole. And then the next thing you know, they (laughs) take that same hand and dive it into the chip bowl. And now they're eating chips, right? Those are Loop chips.
2: Welcome to the Gotta Run Racing Podcast. With your hosts, Norman and Jody, discover the inspiring stories of the average and not-so-average runners. And they're off.
1: Today on the podcast, we have John Lacroix.
3: Lacroix.
1: Lacroix. Even though he pronounces it LaCroix.
3: From the Ultra <laughs> Stories podcast. Which, um, the
1: Human Potential Running Series, yeah, which so. is Colorado's largest trail series.
3: Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about everything about how he was able to pull off the impossible, which is having all of his events take place.
1: In 2020. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. And we're big fans of his podcast, too. So, yeah, we like to.
3: He likes to tell it as it is.
1: Tell it as it is. <laughs> all right
3: but before that housekeeping what's new in the world of got run wow. racing
1: very exciting actually we run the north canada national parks 10k series is out there on race roster live it's live and no one knows about it yet because <laughs> we haven't promoted it but by the time this podcast airs
3: everyone will know oh my god live and uncensored
1: Yeah, so it's a series of 13 10Ks representing every province and territory, featuring a national park in that territory to keep you motivated for the entire year.
3: You mean every month?
1: They can do a 10K. Wow. And you can post your results on Race Roster, and we're going to send you a super cool medal and a bib, and if you get by more than three, you get extra swag. (laughs) Wow.
3: (laughs) Wow, that is interesting. Can you even name all 13?
1: Yes, I can.
3: Well, because I can't. I know you can't. No, I, know I <laughs> can't. I don't even know what provincial park is in Ontario. But after putting this together,
1: wow, you will. I learned a lot. You, yeah.
3: <laughs> I go, what? That's a provincial park?
1: No, actually, it's a national park that we're talking about, not provincial. <laughs> so you learned nothing. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's over.
3: That's what's happening in got Run
1: Raisin. On to the podcast.
0: Here we go. Welcome to Canada. (laughs) Hey. Do
1: you have a drink?
0: What do you got there? La Blue?
1: No, we (laughs) have some maple syrup, whiskey, uh, coffee, and cocoa.
0: (laughs) That sounds good.
1: What have you got?
0: Nothing. It's still early here.
1: That's right. We're past 12, so we're allowed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's not noon here. It's noon somewhere, but not here.
1: (laughs) So we just wanted to give you uh, a little lesson in how to pronounce your name properly.
0: <laughs> oh, it's Lacroix. My way, my way yeah. Way. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's Jean Paul Lacroix. Right. Uh, yeah, my middle name is Paul, and so my my name is, as I understand it, is is legitimately John Paul of the Cross.
3: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah, so it d- doesn't get any more Catholic than that. No,
1: it sure doesn't. <laughs> but you have a little bit of Canadian background, do you not?
0: You know, my um, my f- grandparents, I believe on my father's side, came over to the United States from French Canada, from from uh, Quebec, to to work in the mills uh, in the Northeast, uh, making textiles.
1: Wow, wow!
3: So that's how yeah, you, yeah. So they they went there. They got down to uh, Virginia. Is that where you grew up, Virginia?
0: No, I grew up in New Hampshire. Oh, okay. And so I used to actually frequent uh, Montreal quite a bit.
3: Uh, <laughs> Montreal, I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I actually went to college for a year in Northern Vermont, uh, mm. in a place called Linden State. Um, and, and so Montreal was, was only a, a, a half hour or an hour away from, uh, from Burlington, I believe. So yeah, we we used to cross the border because all the stuff that's illegal in the US until you're twenty one is legal at eighteen up there. That's uh right. so I'd go to Sherbrooke and Montreal and uh many a night at Cafe Campus near McGill University. Um yeah, yeah. I had I had my fun in Canada. That's very <laughs> good. <laughs> Very good.
1: So officially you're the race director of Human Potential Running Series. And Ultra Stories podcast, and your claim to fame at the moment is that you're the only race director on the continent (laughs) to have completed all of your races in one format or another in 2020.
0: That's right. We had zero cancellations. I I ended up having to move a few, but we held them. And so, yeah, as, as far as we know, we're the only major race series in the world. To, uh, to be able to have accomplished that in 2020. Yeah, so I, I'm going to hang on to that as long as I possibly can.
1: Well, as you, you should.
0: Definitely
3: you should be promoting that because <laughs> uh, up here in Canada, it was very difficult. I don't think anything actually went off.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah it, it was a very different set of circumstances. But, uh, but we want to kind of go back to your grassroots and how you became – an ultra runner and then transitioned into actually putting on events yourself. So if you could just give us a little bit of that background, we're pretty familiar with your history through your podcast, but for our listeners up here who haven't yeah. been introduced to you yet, if you could, please for, for our
0: three listeners, <laughs> it'll grow, man. It's a slow grind. <laughs> um, in 2004, I was making a documentary film about peak bag in New Hampshire's white mountains. There's, 48 mountains over 4,000 feet in elevation. And I wondered if anybody had done them the fastest. Uh, and I figured that, man, if somebody had done it the fastest, it must have taken them three months. After a little bit of research, I discovered that the record was actually just shy of three days. <laughs> and it, it blew my mind that somebody could run 167 miles, 64,000 feet of climbing. That's the equivalent of from sea level to the top of Everest twice in less than three days and so I interviewed some of these guys uh, who had set the record at at one time or another and asked them they started talking about this ultra running thing I'd never heard the the phrase before the term I was really interested in adventure racing at the time I never actually did one but um, (laughs) you know I asked them "What, what do you have to do to be an ultra marathon runner and none of them mentioned running. They all said you you need to be stubborn and able to put up with discomfort. I was like, well, I've got that in spades. So uh, I decided uh, through making that documentary film that I was going to become an ultra marathon runner. And I was all of twenty three years old, and a lot of time has passed since then. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's essentially how I got into the sport. Uh, I just started researching. Uh started running and started with literally learning how to run a mile.
3: I think you and I started at the same time, two thousand five about? Was that
0: yeah. Yeah. I think And that right. seems like eons ago.
3: It does, because my first ultra was the Canadian Death Race back in two thousand five, I think That's it was. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's so. a
0: bucket list race, <laughs> around, by the way. <laughs> is it? Yeah. It yes.
3: Has to be done one day. Absolutely. Yeah. How I got to know you basically or learned about you is that Jody said, hey, you should start listening to some podcasts. I said, so I went around from different podcasts here and there and then I came across yours and the first thing that uh, the first podcast I heard about you is how much people don't give a shit about your ultra sign-up ranking.
0: <laughs> yes. They nope, that, nobody that gives what, a flip.
3: That is what intrigues me about, okay, I got to listen to this guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's so true though, Um, as a race director, as a race director, you entertain any number of emails uh, heading into race week and after race week. And what really started to annoy me was the sheer number of emails that I received from runners who were like, could you remove me from the roster so that I don't show up as a DNS man because that just looks really bad. And in my world, it's who the – F? Do you think that's okay? You can curse here. <laughs> okay. Who the fuck do you think is going through to see who all the DNSs are, and then when they notice your name on there, they're like, "Oh man, that's a bad look for him." Like nobody cares yeah, at no. all. No. Uh, and and you know, I I used to be friends with Mark, the uh, Mark Gilligan, the owner of Ultra Up, and and he had confided in me at, at one point or another that the ranking that they created. Was just to have a little bit of fun. It's not anything official. It's not uh, esteemed in mathematics. It includes your every result since you started running ultras. And so my ultra sign-up ranking is all of my running for the last 15 years. That is not I, – I assure you that is not an accurate representation of who <laughs> I am as an ultra runner right now. Um, but yeah, like people start like getting – they're so – these Type A people that we cater to—they're mm-hmm. so obsessed with the with these numbers that their their ranking matters, and so you've got to get their time just right. You've got to get the place they finished in absolutely just right. You've got to um, make sure that uh, you know people think like your DNF actually has some sway in the algorithm, and it doesn't. They think that the DNS has a sway in the algorithm. And it doesn't. It's only your finishes. But the number of emails that I get from people that want me, the race director, when I've got a thousand other things to do, <laughs> the very last thing that I personally care about is is your Ultra Sign Up. And so um, we actually finally left Ultra Sign Up this year. Mm-hmm. I heard that and we, podcast, yes. And, and ridiculous, right? I mean, that's... Oh, yeah. For 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 some for a business to hold you hostage financially, <laughs> that is something else. Um, but, you know, now that we're on run sign-up, when I post results, we don't have a ranking. Uh, I've turned it off. Actually, on a run sign-up, you can turn it off. Hmm. So I've, I've turned it off. I don't post DNFs. I don't post DNSs. It's just here's who ran, here's who finished. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And my life is so much nicer that I don't get these incessant emails from people who care about things that literally nobody else cares about.
1: Exactly. And one thing I think I remember, because I, I don't pay attention to that stuff at all. I'm not a fast runner. I never will be. That's not why I run. But did it not give you a prediction time of what you're, you were going to place in the next event that you were registered in? Yes. So talk about putting pressure on you that is completely un- based on what? The, the time that they give you for prediction is way faster than what you've ever run before. It's like your Garmin watch when it tells you you should be doing a mm. a 5K in 20 minutes when you typically ran them in oh. 30. Like, how are you getting that?
0: <laughs> well, you're one of the lucky ones. It was always uh, two hours slower than I've ever run for me.
1: <laughs> oh. And so
0: I'd look at it and be like, the fuck? Like, you telling me I'm going to finish when? I'm going to show. I'll show them, you know? <laughs> How discouraging if you're a a new ultra runner or just coming into the sport and there's this website that not only ranks you, but gives you a predicted finish time that could be over the cutoff. Yeah. Um, and that is um, really detrimental to the, the runners out there who actually – We could get into the hology of this all day, but put put some weight into that and, and, you know, discourage them to not even want to run. Yeah. Um, You know, I I know that it was created to provide a service, but it's actually providing a disservice. Mm -hmm. Agree completely.
3: Well, we are race directors ourselves. Not as many races as you have, but um, just something else that comes up as far as our race directing events is when some elite guy comes out of nowhere and gives us an email saying, hey, I'm a fast runner. I should. Can you give me a free entry? And I'll take all your swag and everything else for free as well. What do you do in that situation as a race director? <laughs> Man, you yeah. guys have getting all the
0: good points. <laughs> you got to get a drink now. <laughs> I, I got one of these the other day, actually, before our last race of the year. I've been training so hard. I really want to run your race. I'm an elite runner. Here's my running resume. And it's for me, it's like, oh, shit, I didn't know we were applying for a job here at <laughs> Tiffany's. You know, I, I thought we were just running. I don't even open them. I, I do not even open the resume. I don't care. Uh, I specifically have on our website um, a section where you can learn about getting discounted entries and how we do that. And on there, it says specifically that we don't cater to the elite. I really believe that the the single mom of three uh, has to sacrifice more and train just as hard to be able to maybe barely finish the damn race. Yeah. That those are the people who deserve the comp entry. Right. Not... Just some guy because you are genetically gifted and and really talented and choosing to live in a van down by the river so that you can train shirtless for you know who I'm talking about you know like but, but why do I have I gonna, long hair too yeah like, why am I gonna <laughs> why why am I gonna cater to them like why and and so you know normally my response is something like uh, if you actually if you come out and volunteer you will earn race credits to put towards an entry. And we pay, I pay like $10 an hour in race credits for every hour worked. And if you're overnight or like between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., it's $20 an hour. If you do course marking, it's $20 an hour. So it's one of those like you could come out Friday and course mark with us uh, and then you'll run for free the next day. Really? Uh, and nine and a half times out of actually no, it's ten out of ten. Literally zero of those elite runners actually volunteer. They just give me the Oh, never mind, man. You know. <laughs> it's like I don't even have a podium. Like, there's no podium here. So, you yeah. know, after you've won, the first thing they'll be looking for is that box to stand on so everybody can <laughs> you No. Know, Idolize this epic performance that I'll never do, <laughs> and it's just no. We don't have that. We we don't we don't do that. And and I get those people. Like they'll they'll eventually sign up. They show up, and then after the race, they're sitting around waiting for the awards ceremony. When's the awards ceremony? Oh, you just had it. I just you crossed. I give you a hug. Here's an award. What else do you want?
1: Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. We try to. Uh, cater to the back of the pack in a yeah. way because yeah, that's the majority of your race. The elites are what?
0: 1%? Less than 1% of the field. Yeah. That's right. And, and they don't pay the
1: bill. They're leaving as soon as they get their award. They're not hanging around. They're not chatting with other runners.
0: Booth.
1: Right? <laughs> so we're trying to cater to that yeah. under 50 percentile that's finishing later. My
3: mom of three yeah. kids who. May get on the podium
1: and be absolutely thrilled about it <laughs>
0: to get
3: a water bottle.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not giving out money here. Yeah, but um... well, I,
0: I, I think that's part of it though is that some RDs on the sport here stateside decided that prize money was a good idea mm. and that was going to be the way that we grow the sport. And I mean, totally, they're like, this is the way we're going to grow ultra running. We're going to offer this prize money. And it's just, dude, nobody cares about that. There's less than 1% of the field even has a chance of winning that. And so I really believe that embracing the roots of ultra running, which is a focus on community Mm -hmm. and treating everybody the same uh, and celebrating everybody as equal, uh, that's what's important, not injecting this waste of prize money. Like, Imagine if you took 10 grand and instead of giving it to the per- the top three, you uh, got some better swag for your runners, yeah. or That'd you put be, more yeah. food out at the aid station and you took care of everybody instead of three people.
1: Exactly.
3: Yeah,
0: that's a good point.
1: Should we go into COVID or did you want to ask a bit more about his history? Because well, I, I have so many COVID questions. <laughs>
3: Just the fact that we couldn't put on any of our races this year because of COVID, but the fact you did is why we're reaching out and saying, hey, how did this happen? But before that, um, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about one of your podcasts that I heard was, was when you first started running, you had all these questions to this elite woman runner. I don't know if yeah. you remember that. Yeah. Okay.
0: I do. Yeah. I'll never and forget she, it.
3: And when you asked her all these questions, as you were running beside her, she decided not to answer
0: any of them. Not a single one.
3: Now, I'm curious to know any follow-up on that. Did she finally answer any of those questions?
0: No, but um, <laughs> I think it was 2008 or nine. Both ran in the Vermont 50-mile endurance run. And once I knew she was there, it was on. <laughs> to this day, that is my 50-mile, official 50-mile PR, <laughs> 858. <laughs> and I when I beat her. I beat her ass. Wow. Excellent. And when she came in when she came into the finish line 15, fifteen, twenty minutes later, the first thing she said was to me, and she said, The only reason you ran that fast is because I'm here. And I said <laughs> Yep. Yep. And uh and so we got a picture. We we took a picture together. So I have a picture of her and I at the finish line side by wow. side. And you know what? That's that's actually one of those pictures that that I hang up to that's motivation for me the the sheer number of people and you know this as ultra runners the number of people in our lives who tell you you shouldn't you couldn't you won't you can't etc man if i had a middle finger for each of them i'd never wear gloves again <laughs> <laughs> what a cool moment but uh you know we actually had a conversation after that race about a lot of things but that's <laughs> We didn't discuss that, and and because yeah. she just denies, you know, oh, okay. it's, it's a denial thing, and it's okay. just like, no, nah, come on,
1: that could be me. What kind of a race draws you in? What is it about the event that number one has to be there for you in terms of? Yeah, I'm going to train for this. I'm going to take time out of my busy schedule because I want to experience that event.
0: A shitty website. Really. I wish I was joking <laughs> um, but I actually I look for races based on their website and if I go to your website and I'm like oh wow this is some grit I'm there like I'm there uh, and I know notice that it's typically a lot of the old school races that haven't changed their website in like 20 years since they started it's the same website right? They're using DOS to program the damn thing. <laughs> uh, I also I I look at the elevation profile. Uh, I'm I'm a I came from a hiking background and I prefer to be in a race with a lot of hiking because it's the great equalizer for me. Right. It's something that actually gives me a chance uh, to be a mid packer. If If I'm running a flat race, forget it. I'm back of the pack. I'm not I'm not fast. So yeah, I, I I'm somebody I, I look for the gritty. I look for the difficult, and and I really, you know, you can have a, a shitty website and still portray that you've got this, you know what you're doing. And so I I am looking for races for me personally to run, where the runner is first, and it's every runner, and and you can tell that they care. Uh, and there's so many races like that around the country, um, and even Canada, uh, that fit that bill, and it's it's just a matter of finding them. I. I don't race in Colorado anymore. I can't stand ultra running here. Yeah. Uh, and and that's why I love being a race director here, is because the only races I want to run are mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I love it. Listen to what he's saying, because Norm, Norm spends a lot of time in in our social media and trying to make the website better and all that. Yeah. And and I get it he, because he's I, right. I. I Well, I have not signed up for races because of frustration of navigating a website. If you can't tell me the basics, then I'm a little concerned that you're not going to be able to (laughs) mark the route properly. But uh, I think it's an equal balance because it's just us two. We don't have... It's us until race day, and then we have 60, 70 volunteers. So we have to pick our... Yeah,
0: then the army shows up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we have to pick our battles.
0: You know, you're not... You're not wrong though. I mean as a as a business owner, as a race director. Well, let me rephrase that. As a race director, you are a business owner. Yes. I'm an old schooler and you're an old schooler. And so we just like things to still be old school. That that intrigues us, but at the end of the day, as a business owner, you've got to do what appeals to the masses now. And we're not a part of the masses. And right. and and at human potential, I used to we used to be the grassroots, low frills, ultra series, and I had to wake up one day and listen to that and say, who the hell even knows what like old school is anymore? Nobody knows what old school is. And when you say grassroots, low frills, that that just sounds cheap. <laughs> and the things that people are participating in nowadays, like the Spartan races and... Lifetime Fitnesses races and Ragnars they're not the events that have an appearance of cheap they have an appearance of professionalism and so while I'm looking for the gritty websites everybody else is looking to feel like these people have their shit together so like you said like if you're navigating a race website and it's you can't get the basic information and there's a lot of those I'm I'm shocked by like how I can't even find out how many aid stations there are in this race. Right. Like, that's like info number one. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and it's such an intricate balance. Um, and the business of race directing has has changed so very much, uh, even in a very short amount of time. So I, I hear both of you and you're both right. right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I imagine that's what makes you a great team.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. Yeah.
3: Before we go on, let's talk a bit about the trail work as well, when you do trail work. As yeah. I read that on your website, so let's go about how you doing trail work also gets you points to get into your races, or
0: is that yeah, part of the so, yeah, you know, it's become a thing in ultra running for 100 milers that you perform eight hours of volunteer service uh, as a requirement for entry, like Western States does it at Hard Rock wasash a ton and I do it for my hundreds I think it's just the right thing to do I think that if if you you're gonna spend you know 36 hours out on a trail running in circles you should appreciate the work that goes into making that trail Mm -hmm. be there because they don't magically appear uh, and they don't take care of themselves Mm -hmm. Um, so we do host we we became the first major race series in Colorado to adopt our own sections of trails, Forest service trail, uh, from the outset. And we work those every, every year. And, and if you come and do a trail work day with us, you get a straight-up comp entry to a race of your choice. Nice. Oh, that's nice. And so if, if you want to run 200 miles and you don't have the money to pay for it, uh, even though we're way cheaper than the other ones, <laughs> 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 um, you can just come do a day of trail work and uh, earn a comp entry for yourself. And that, to me, is is giving back again to those who give back. Uh, those are the people I want to reward, uh, not the folks that are look at me, I'm awesome.
1: <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> okay, so let's get into
1: let's your... into twenty yeah, twenty. Yeah, let's get
3: into your adapting to COVID.
1: Right. So <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> like you said, you've managed to put on every race in your series this year.
3: How many races do you have? Sorry,
0: uh, we have eleven events. Eleven events.
1: Ten in Colorado and one in Arkansas. Yes, correct. And you just finished your last race last weekend, right? So
0: that's right. Yeah, on the twelfth of December.
1: What what percentage of finishers did you have this year versus last?
0: Uh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people showed up underprepared this year, mm. but our finishing numbers are no different than they've always been. Ooh. And what's interesting to me is, so I have. This is, I'm going to tell you some of my sickness here, but I have a spreadsheet that has every single trail race, a marathon or longer, in the state of Colorado. And their finishing numbers for the last, since as far back as 2004. Wow. So 16 years of finishing data for every single race in the state. Wow. And I witnessed that as those who did come back this year, they had 50 to 60% of their normal finishing rate, or yeah, 50 to 60% of their normal finishing rate. I'm not saying that half the field finished. I'm saying half of what they normally have finished. Right. It's not, I can't go and do the research and find out how many registrants my competitors have, mm. but I can. See the trends based on how many finishers that they've had. Mm-hmm. The people are are coming out and running with us, and our finishing rates have stayed the same, uh, and theirs are down fifty to sixty percent. Then I can extrapolate that well. My competitors are probably, you know, they're at sixty percent of their normal capacity or their sixty percent of their normal registrations. So
1: right. Mm other than the obvious, was the greatest challenge getting the permits? What, would you, what was the greatest challenge? No. In, no. So your restrictions on terms of gatherings were not as strict as ours, I would assume, because that was what our challenge was.
0: I actually didn't run into an issue with gathering size until my last race. Every uh, My August race was the largest event I've ever directed.
3: And what race was uh, that?
0: Uh, Sheet Mountain Endurance Runs. Mm-hmm. I moved my June South Park Trail Marathon in half to the same weekend. Mm-hmm. And so between those two events combined, we had the most people we've ever had at an event. Wow. Um, and then in September, we followed it up with the Sangre de Cristo Ultras. And that was just one event without another one attached onto it Mm. and it ended up being the largest single event that we've ever had as well we had close to 300 right three to four weeks out from the last race of the year i heard from the land manager that because we're in in tighter restrictions here um our permit was being cut from 200 to 75 Mm. and we already had 154 registered and so that was really the first time that I had to pivot on group size. But prior to that, not at all, not anywhere. You know, I think that race directors out there, I, I assume most of them are are thinking that getting the permit is hard, mm. uh, it, like you just asked, and, yeah. and 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 that's that's a logical assumption. But really, the only thing that's different is you're you're attaching a COVID plan. Onto your normal permit application, and so it's here's what I would normally send you, and here's our plan for COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's a copy and paste. Like you could copy from. I'll give you mine. It's. it's <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like, love to see it. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't reinvent. I didn't reinvent anything really. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, it's just a collection of what the CDC and and uh, here in the U.S. the CDC and And what others had already extrapolated was going to be the new reality. And Mm -hmm. so you just take all those bits of information, organize it. You cannot guarantee anybody's health or safety at one of these events. Before COVID, during COVID, or after COVID. I can't guarantee that you're safe or you're going to remain healthy. Mm -hmm. So these COVID-19 protocols literally are uh, the race director creating the illusion of safety. Mm. You're just showing a land manager or the health department that COVID's on your purview, that's in your mind. You've got some kind of plan in place to keep people socially distant and safe, but you can't guarantee that. And so, so again, it's, you're creating this illusion.
1: Right.
3: And I guess for the insurance part of it, to get insurance for your event, that's the same thing. They want to know that you're doing something to be insured just yeah. want to know to you're doing safe.
0: your due due diligence. Yeah. It's not it's
3: not the insurance company saying, "Okay, you have to do something specific in order to get the insurance." Yeah. yeah.
1: So that included yeah. staggered starts. And I would Yeah, say, so we did
0: yeah. we did virtual uh virtual pre-race meetings. Nice. Which are staying forever. I love that. Yeah. Um I'm not tired at pre-race meeting and punchy. Like I'm rested and ready to go before the race week gets crazy we're just given that meeting um we also did um, temperature checks at check-in and i just did 100 degrees you got to be below 100 degrees Mm -hmm. fahrenheit Uh, and some people are like uh it's got to be 100.4 what's the 0.4 matter if you have a fever that doesn't mean you have covid and if you don't have a fever it doesn't it, it doesn't mean that you don't have COVID.
1: Exactly. And
0: so here we are implementing these temperature checks like this is – again, we're creating the illusion that we're – it doesn't – it's like the ultra sign-up ranking. This doesn't make any sense. But this is what you have to do to do your due diligence so that if anything were to happen and you find yourself in court, you could display to the court, look, I followed all the guidelines that the CDC says that we should follow. Right. Uh, to keep people distant and safe. You know, the, what's really the hardest part is getting people to follow through. Yes. Uh, especially here stateside when we are so polarized. Uh, I call it bipolarized. Um, <laughs> we just argue about everything. And <laughs> wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, is COVID a hoax or is it not a hoax? <laughs> is Am I getting a stimulus check or am I not getting a stimulus check? And it's just mm-hmm. on and on and on. And at the end of the day, like, People just love to play games with the semantics of things. You tell them to wear a mask and they put it on their wrist. On their wrist. And they're like, see, I'm wearing it. And it's like, not actually <laughs> what I was talking about, douchebag. Like, come on. Yeah, that's the hardest thing is getting people to follow through and just getting through their skulls that, look, I don't care what your political beliefs are or your your conspiracy theories. I don't care about any of that. These are the conditions of our permit. And right. so, this is what you're going to do to be able to run. And if you don't do this, you're done running here literally forever. Yeah. Because you're jeopardizing our permit. And it's worked out well. So,
1: did you make any big changes to your aid stations? Because that was one thing that kind yes. of going through, I was a little concerned about.
0: <laughs> you know what a lube chip is? A lube chip. No. no. Lube chips. For years, I've had a sign out on an aid station that says, to Help prevent the spread of lube chips. And lube chips are when um, somebody comes into the aid station, they dive their meaty little fist into the Vaseline jar or whatever, and then they rub them all, rub that all over their nether bits and their butthole. And then the next thing you know, they take that same hand and dive it into the chip bowl. And now they're eating chips, right? Those are lube chips. And, I you know, you really got to pay attention to like, I don't think people realize how common a thing that is. That's trail like, running. Oh. <laughs> so we chair aid stations to kind of be like these short order stations. Mm-hmm. So as a as a runner comes into the station, they can't touch anything. And so they can't touch a water cooler. I got volunteers pouring water by a pitcher okay uh, into their bladder or bottle or whatever and the volunteers can't touch their bottle it's no touch you hold it out like um, but if you want some food you just tell the volunteer what you want and they'll give it to you with a pair of tongs we use tongs to pick up the chippies and we put it out in your little hand and your loop chips didn't touch a thing and you know the the common thing that I'm hearing from runners about that uh, that fix is, this is long overdue for a long <laughs> for a very long time ultra running aid stations have been the least hygienic place i've ever been yeah. and i you know you hear stories of people getting sick at races and they have no idea
2: why hey guys if you like what you're hearing so far give us a like and follow our social media facebook instagram youtube you can find all that at GottaRunRacing.com. And follow the Ultra Norm and SharkRunner17 on Instagram for exciting behind the scenes stuff. Like, guess what? They're married to each other. Wild, right? Now, back to the show.
0: Uh, I know why. I, you know, <laughs> you're, the yeah. Shit's disgusting. Like, yes. you got something at the race. And so, finally, we have some hygiene uh, and some, some food safety that's uh, long overdue. Uh, at ultra events. And so it's worked out really well. And, and I don't know if that'll stay or not. I hope it does. But it's working out pretty well to uh, prevent the spread of loop chips. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course, having been to those races too, where it's a communal bowl, and I refuse to put my hand mm-hmm. in it, we started giving single portions in a muffin cup. So at least the muffin cup is made of paper, it can be recycled. That's worked out well. Uh, this year we were going to go cupless. So we were going to offer people with their swag a, um, silicone cup that could be folded up and tucked in. Well, now thinking that I can't have people touching the water cooler to fill that cup, you know, are you going to end up with a long line of people standing in line waiting to have their cup filled by the volunteer? But you know what? we've had at a couple of our events, the elites come through and throw their water bottle at a volunteer (laughs) and expect it to be filled while they're dealing with their lube. And that's got to stop. So everyone has to have a little bit Mm -hmm. more patience and say, you know what, if I don't, if I don't take water here, that's my decision. But at the same time, if it's July and it's 30 degrees or 85 uh, (laughs) Fahrenheit and someone skips an aid station. Because the lineup was too long. Mm. And then they pass out 3K down the road. That's now my problem. But I'm, I'm thinking of worst case scenario and the chances of that happening are probably slim. Right?
0: Now that you're doing wave starts, you're already pre-stretching your field out. True. And so that was a huge, that's actually a really good thought because I thought the same thing. Um, heading into races was like, oh, we're going to have these massive traffic jams, people waiting for fluids.
1: Yeah. Didn't happen. Has
0: not happened at all. Um, but because we're doing the wave starts, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you got to do wave starts based on their ultra sign up ranking, uh, so that all the fast kids can run with the fast kids. And yeah, that sounds great and all if you care about the race. But at the end of the day, if I've got fast, Ask kids and slow kids all in the same wave, I'm spreading my field out. And by the time anybody gets, you know, they get 10K in and they get to that first aid station, they're so far spread out that there are no lines uh, at the aid stations. It's worked out really well.
1: Right. How far apart are your waves or or did that depend on the field size?
0: So I was doing 20 runners every 10 minutes. Okay. Um, and you know, the longer distance, like if I've got a 50 mile, I'm starting them first and then 50 K and then the 15 milers are, are last cause they need the least amount of time out there. Mm-hmm. If some folks are really slow and they think they're going to take the whole day, uh, I have them reach out to me and I'll start them earlier just to give them a little grace. Right. Um, but yeah, 10, it's 20 runners every 10 minutes. And then the last race we did 20 runners every 20 minutes.
1: So I how much longer a, l- a little more. Sorry. How much longer did that extend no, your day? Not at all. Not at all.
0: So if my my race is supposed to start at seven, mm-hmm. I figure out, all right, how many waves do I need to get everybody out by seven o'clock? Okay. Then all of the cutoffs down the course have stayed the same and they're based on time of day. And so, if you started at six forty five well now you got you got fifteen minutes on that cutoff. I gave you some oh, extra time. You better gotcha. make it gotcha. and so those those cutoffs are super strict i I wasn't waiting any any longer than I normally am for that one or two runner to come in at the end. you know that one runner who's an hour late i I keep everything on I keep the the uh this inflatable here <laughs> yeah, I, I should I. This is why I didn't become a weatherman. This thing stays up until the fi- very final runner comes through the finish line. Yes. Thank
3: you. That's yeah. a good, uh, that but,
0: is the oh, best thing.
1: Well, we had to tell him about last year. Yeah. So we went to a race. Uh, well, you'll know it. Mozart 100 in Salzburg. Finish line. It was in the main square. Beer tent. Music stage. Vendors. It was a party. I did a shorter event, so I finished in the middle of the day. It was like, it was like Oktoberfest. It was awesome. Norm Mm -hmm. was doing the 100. Yeah. And he's...
3: I'm two or three hours before the the last runner, so I have plenty of time to finish this race. But basically, they were tearing everything down while I was coming through. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Hate that. There's three, there's three hours to go.
0: (laughs) There was no
1: food. There was no food. There was nowhere to sit. They'd taken all the, the, the tables and chairs away. Literally, all I could hand them was a beer. We had to go to the McDonald's that was open till 3 a.m. <laughs> like, that's the last well, that's thing you right. want when you're not in Salzburg.
3: <laughs> it's not real meat there.
1: <laughs> it was just...
0: No, I didn't say so that, disturbing. but it's all right.
1: <laughs> and you know what? If the truth be told, yeah. this is why we got into race directing. Because... All those little things that we noticed when going to races that make such a huge difference that people just don't take the time to fix. It's
3: it's the little things that
1: count. It makes such a big difference to the experience.
0: Well, what you're learning is you're learning who the race directors are that really don't give a shit. I mean, if, if you became a race director and you cannot keep your finish line up and the grill on for the last runner why did you become a race director? Obviously it was just to make money and go home. Mm -hmm. Um, But if if you're really a race director for the right reasons and you're invested in the community and the people who are there and you appreciate every single runner who contributed to the finances of that event to make it happen, you're going to leave it all up and ready and waiting for that last runner. And then you pack it up and go home. You know, it's, You know, I don't know. Like, is this just a worth work ethic that my parents taught me? Like, you don't—you're not done till the job is done. It seems pretty common sense to me, but there's not a lot of common sense out in the world these days. No, there isn't. um, Yeah, I started noticing that too, and and that's why I make it a point to keep it all set up and ready to go for that last runner, even if they're an hour late.
1: So important.
3: When you moved into Arkansas, how was your, Mm -hmm. how was the welcoming party there when you moved into a different state?
0: There wasn't one. (laughs) Um, I even went to Arkansas to to run in one of their ultras to see how they do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after running in that event, I told Emily, my significant other, who's who's my assistant RD, you know, man, we're bringing a whole different kind of ultra running to arkansas because what we do is not what they do like i couldn't believe the sheer amount of waste they, they still they're still doing styrofoam cups wow, and wow. thousands of them per aid station i got a race shirt that was baby shit brown with all of last year's finishers on the back like, why do I want last year's finishers on my <laughs> shirt? I want this year's starters on my shirt. I don't want, you know? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And so, you know, we came in and, and we have, we're a little bit more sustainable. It, we're cupless races. And it was, people are just, oh, you're, you're going to pay more money to run in their race. Uh, and they don't give a shit to give you a cup. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> they're missing the point. <laughs> like, the f- really? Like, yeah, so... The, the folks in Arkansas, uh, the Ultra Arkansas Ultra Running Association, Aura, which is, which is funny when you think about it, Aura, their aura <laughs> was to uh, basically tell everybody not to run our raids because we're for profit and we're not from there and we charge too much money and we don't give back to any of the trails and we don't donate anything and it's just like, What are you actually talking about? Because we did adopt trail in Arkansas, and I've got to go twice a year to Arkansas to work that trail. And we donated a couple hundred dollars to the organization that takes care of those trails. And yeah, so just, there was no welcoming committee. There was a lot of just, and then I found out that I, I think it's really because we're the only ultra in the state of Arkansas that happened this year. This is kind of becoming a new trend in ultra running, though. And the trend is uh, instead of race directors working harder to prove to their community why their races are the best and why people should run with them, the behavior is to shame everybody else and embarrass your competition and dig up some dirt and cancel culture and just all these nasty things that are not the roots of ultra marathon running. Not even close. It's disgusting. Uh, and, and I've learned that the hard way, right, hard way. You know, I got into race directing to compete with Leadville. I, I hate that corporations were coming into our sport. I hate that Lifetime Fitness bought the Leadville 100. I hate what they've turned it into. And for me, it was, all right, well, I'm going to go put on another series right next door to them and I'm going to do it the way that I think they should be doing it. And at the beginning it was, yeah, I compared a lot of us versus them but I realized nobody gives a shit (laughs) what you think. No. It doesn't matter if you're a race director or just Norm walking down the street. Norm, I hate to break it to you. (laughs) Um, You have an opinion to share and you think everybody needs to hear it and not one single person gives a shit about it. Uh, except the listeners of your show, of course. Um, but you can change the channel. And so that's that's kind of what my reaction was to the non-welcoming committee in Arkansas was, hey, instead of telling people not to run our shit, how about you do your shit better and show everybody why they should run with you instead? Right. Because I sold out my race the first year in Arkansas, which should tell you that what I bring is needed.
1: That's right. I loved what you said. I listened this morning to the um, episode with Eric about community. Mm-hmm. And I loved what you said about how you invited the director from Mad Moose, Mad Moose. Yeah. To come and volunteer. And you guys had a great day on the trail. And at your races, you actually introduced or gave shout outs to the other races in your area, which... Norm, Norm's been doing that since we started. We have two major competitors to us. They've come and run our races. We've run their races and
3: volunteered each other's. And we
1: make a point of saying, Hey, Eric's here from five peaks. You know, his next race is next month in Brampton. And, you know, give him a, give him a shout out today when you see him on the trail, because we're not in competition with them. We're all offering something different and Mm -hmm. the runner will decide. What format fits them best? That's and right. And there's there's enough of us around to share share the wealth. Yeah. Right. I totally agree with you in that we have to lift each other up and be the support because if we start bad m- mouthing each other, mm-hmm. that doesn't say stay silent. Our community's not that big. I think the other thing you touched on there, um, and Eric mentioned it too is that what happened to Iron Man is that they got too big and they got too greedy
3: and too expensive
1: and now everybody knows it <laughs> and only that core guy is going to keep seeking out Iron Man because and they want to be the Iron Man
0: even they're falling apart they I, are. I think they're yeah like they're <laughs> they got too big there is a too big and same thing with Spartan races you know you think about OCR was a, a big thing three three to five years ago, OCR was all the rage. Yeah. The whole reason Spartan running got into trail running and directing trail races is because they're bleeding money and the OCR scene. They're not that fat is come and gone. Nobody is racing OCR like they used to. And so now they have to make up that revenue in another way and, and trail running is where they're doing it. Right. And so I'll tell you as fellow race directors, I mean, get ready. Spartan's here for now, and they're here for the next five to seven years, and then they'll go away too because right. they're just way too big for this niche sport.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: How do you think you, so a, a
3: race like UTMB, for instance, which is 2,000 runners, there's 10,000 volunteers and spectators, how do you think they're going to handle COVID coming? In?
0: They're not. <laughs> I think the mass participation event is done for the foreseeable future. And if anybody thinks otherwise, you're ill-informed. Even though there's a vaccine and we're starting to get people vaccinated, it's going to be a long process to get everybody vaccinated. We're wearing masks for at least another year. Let's, Let's embrace that reality. Yeah. We will be wearing masks through 2021. And so the idea of having 2,000 runners together, 10,000 volunteers, and all those spectators. That is not – look, the Boston Marathon is already postponed to the fall of 2021. Hopefully, there's a lot of other mass participation events that have already canceled 2021. You know, this is kind of where I realize, well, I've done it right because I only have a cap of 200 at my races. That's all the runners that I want. That's all the runners that I need. And people all the time are, well, your goal is to get as many people as you can on the trail. It's say, actually, it's not. Um, There is a a limit, an upper limit to what is responsible, not only to each individual participant, but to the resource. Mm. And I don't even come close to it. So at 200 runners per event, 300 runners per event, I'm good. Um, I can get 300 runners out on a wave start. If I had 2,000 runners, there's no effing way that I'd be able to host a race and I wouldn't even be thinking about 2021 with that many runners. There's no way. I don't, let's be fair, Europe, their lockdown is a lot more strict than uh, those of us here in the Western, this side of the Western world. Um, I I just don't see the reality of that taking place this year, but go get them.
1: (laughs) So that means we have to brainstorm and figure out how to convert the road runners into uh, trail runners. <laughs> but not the, we only want the nice ones. <laughs> not the ones that are, you know, attached to their Garmin and Strava and all that jazz. <laughs>
0: we are at the beginning of another running boom. I mean, uh, fitness became the focus uh, during this pandemic and a lot more people started running. And they were, last year was the first year of the boom before the COVID came. So uh, I think it's grown Even bigger. And so, yeah, there's a lot of runners out there who are going to be looking for that goal race. Uh, And there are a lot of road runners that I do hope actually come over the trails. But we as race directors and veterans of the sport have an obligation to teach them what is proper in our sport. It's not intuitive. You can't read about it or find it anywhere. It's community. And so everybody's got to, at some point, you just got to open your arms and say, Come on over, everybody. Let mm-hmm. us teach you the way of the trail, and yes. and let that be it. And and that's okay. To it's okay to do that, and it should be encouraged.
1: That's back to your point too about the virtual uh, race meeting. I think mm-hmm. that's a great way to do it because you think you're standing in front of two, three hundred people on race morning, and they're all nervous and ready to go. They're not listening to what Norms oh, they, saying they in the microphone. So if we, how far in advance do you give them that video to watch?
0: So usually it's Monday of race week. Perfect. uh, And then it's on my Facebook Live. And then I download the video and upload it to YouTube. And then I send an email out to the field that says, if you miss the meeting, here it is. It's on YouTube. Perfect. And so they don't even have to watch. They can just listen to it while they're driving the car or out on a run or, you know, that's the beauty of it is that People are free to be where they're comfortable to hear the important information. Yes, and it's not just a, "oh, can we go?" Right? And you just say go. <laughs> that's true. Exactly. Yeah, that's true.
1: I love that idea. Yeah. We're definitely gonna do that.
3: Your your podcast has changed format now. You have a partner or a co host, Eric. You want to want to uh, introduce him to the world?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, Eric Chrisman is the owner and our founder owner chief everything behind Elevation Culture. Uh, And if if you've run an ultra, at least stateside, and over the last five years, I'm certain that you have had one of his handcrafted medals Mm -hmm. in your hand uh, after crossing a finish line. Eric uh, used to live in San Diego. I interviewed him for my podcast uh, a year ago. Uh, I was out in San Diego. I interviewed him. Uh, we had such a great conversation, great chemistry. He Showed me the shop, how they make the Mickey awards. I brought him and uh, you know his staff a bottle of whiskey for for making all of our awards over the years, just to kind of thank them over the holidays. And and then Eric moved to Boulder, Colorado, and so uh, him moving here, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it was one of those like you know we we both recognize that we have a lot to give each other. Uh, Eric has a a lot of knowledge, uh, entrepreneurial knowledge that I could benefit from. And I, I have a lot that Eric can benefit from. And, and we've just really become each other's best cheerleader at this in our life. And having him on to, to co-host the program, is it's been great because, you know, hes he's the vendor. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm a runner and a race director, and he's the vendor who deals with the race director. And so we have these two – we have these – and he's an ultra runner, too. So we have these very unique perspectives that we bring to the table for, for discussion that I think everybody needs to hear, especially, you know, I, I've heard that guy vent so many times about just how shitty some race directors are.
1: Mm.
0: Like, email him to with not even a, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. How are you holding up during these times? You know, are you are you doing okay? Are you feeling all right? You know, what can well, how can we support you? None of that. Just straight up, hey man, where's my medals? <laughs> you know, it's just like we forgot how to be humans to each other. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've learned a lot from Eric. It's great to have him. I love doing the show with him. He's got such great insight, and he's calmed me down quite a bit. That's for sure. I was um,
1: gonna mention that. I feel more-
0: <laughs>
3: that's what i noticed i go oh john he's very calm these days very calm
0: yeah it's a great he's just got me think he's got me thinking more about like the message and how we want to convey that message and uh we both really want to make the sport better uh that's that's become the primary focus and and i hear him you know i'm i'm one of those rds that i've I've bitched countless times on my podcast about this race and that race and I can't believe they're doing this and I can't believe they're doing that and I try to keep it focused on them being negligent or they're just that is not our sport. But at at some point it's like but that's destructive criticism and I want to be able to provide constructive criticism. I want to make the sport better. And so I think Eric's really helped me see a different angle of how to help people um, how to get the message out and really help uh, rather than just denouncing and denigrating people
1: right yeah, for sure that makes sense. Do you have any advice for us we've We haven't released any of our podcasts yet. You're our sixth guest, so we're producing them, and then we're gonna release them once a week starting in January. so what do you have any advice for us as beginner podcasters? Because
3: you've reached over a hundred now, right? you're hundred and something. We're at a, yeah, we're at
0: 116 episodes.: wow. How
3: long did that take you? Uh,
0: I, I released my first one in October. I think it was Halloween of 2017, okay. so it took three years.: Wow, oh. um, And it's not it's, it's mostly weekly. I'd say I probably do three episodes a month. You know, when I, when you're busy race directing, putting on 11 events, you've got to decide what things get kicked to the curb. So you can do your job, and sometimes the podcast gets kicked aside so I can get my job done. But it's you know I've learned a lot. My my first degree is an associate's in radio, TV production, and broadcasting. Oh. I used to have a radio show uh, when I was in college in two thousand three. I had a my own radio show, and and things have changed quite a bit technologically, <laughs> and just the having the ability to be able to produce your own show.
1: I was just going to really ask. Really not that, that hard. Yeah.
0: You know, like, there's a learning curve, but once you've... Yeah. It's cookie cutter once you've got it. Sure. Um, You know, I think you guys are... You're off to a great start. If you're recording two months' worth of episodes before you release anything, mm-hmm. that's the spot to be in because <laughs> there's going to be t- points in time where you don't have a guest, and you don't know what to talk about, or you yeah. don't have time. And so being ahead of the game allows you to go back into your... Lexicon there and oh this this episode looks good for this week I've already got that <laughs> recorded so that's always my biggest piece of advice for for podcasters out of the gate is to record a lot of episodes before you go live I didn't I just here's an episode let's go and then a week <laughs> later I was like well shit I need another episode right yeah don't play catch up be ahead
1: <laughs> okay
3: with all your podcasts with your directing how do you have time to train Run yourself
0: if you I don't
3: you don't eh? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, uh, you know I talk a lot about training in my podcasts. I have been trained in two years I'm mm. um, going off of memory of of once upon a time um, and I'm desperately trying to get back into it uh, you know just you put on 11 events and you have podcasts and live shows and I'm a one-man band, pretty much. Uh, I've got a little bit of help with, with some things at HPRS. Most of that help, as you guys mentioned, is on race weekend.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so the in-between, it's, it's, I mean, I'm doing everything. And uh, it's a lot. Honestly, one of the very last things I want to talk about anymore is running. <laughs> um, I've turned my, my passion into my job. And I love it. I love what I do. I really do. Um, I just don't have that passion I don't have the motivation and I don't have the time yeah. to, to train like I used to so this year I, I decided I was going to do every damn trail in my county my my county's open space there's like 247 miles of trail I could do that right <laughs> well now you I've gone to every picnic table I've gone to every porta potty or pot, like pit toilet and there's so many out and backs I've, I've got that 247 is definitely over a thousand miles at this mm. point Yeah, Uh, and I still have some trails to go. So uh, I decided that next year I'm going to try starting the first of the year. I'm going to try to do every street in my zip code. I have a really large town. I'm just not. I I can't do the whole town. So I was just. I'll just do the zip code. Uh, We'll start there. See how long it takes me. Um, So you know, I'm I'm trying to find new ways to uh, to to motivate me uh, to, to get me out the door, to get me moving again, in the hopes. I went to the Western States 100 website last week and just the emotion that drummed up inside of me by just going to their website. uh, I need to keep going there because it made me want to run again so I can get back to Western States. Um, Speaking of of Western States.
1: Oh, well, you have to hear Norm's little pity story.
3: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Western
1: States,
3: (laughs) I finally got accepted after six years of trying. And then COVID hit, so I'm going on seven years of not getting there. But you ran it twice already, is that right? Yeah. So Please what, advi- what, what yeah. advice would you give me, who hasn't run it yet? <laughs> I got in. What advice would you give me for Western States? How to attack this thing?
0: Western States is probably one of the most fun ultra puzzles I've ever had to put together. <laughs> and it's, it is, it's an expensive race, but they take really... Good care of you. It is worth every penny. They are very good people. Uh, I love Craig Thornley. I ran it in 17. I got to run with him. He actually was running in the race. I got to share miles with him and John Fegavarezzi, who's a Barkley finisher.
1: Oh wow! So that was
0: our little trio for the afternoon in the heat, cool. and it was just everybody looks at Western States and they and they see this net downhill. And so naturally you would think that most of your training should be downhill training. And I wanna tell you that the uphills at Western States are some of the biggest ass kicker hophills I've ever had to endure. And when you're spending so much time running downhill to be over to switch gears to this bitch of an uphill climb, like you gotta do that in your training. I as I would tell anybody you need to replicate the cl- the course as closely as you can. I know you guys are in Alberta, right?
1: No, Ontario, even worse. Oh,
0: you're Ontario. <laughs> I, I don't imagine you got a lot of uh, mountains there.
1: None whatsoever. We, we
0: have a bunny. Yeah. <laughs> you got to pull a tire, man. Like You got to find a way to do the resistance training because that's the crux of western states. It's, and, and it's going to be the heat. But when I was there in 17, it was 135 degrees in the canyons. Ridiculously hot. Um, and so yeah, it's it's heat training and and trying as closely as you can to replicate what you're going to be going through with those ups and downs. Absolutely,
3: yeah, well, sure. I'm trying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting any younger.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the other part of the story that he hasn't told you is he also got into Boston for and, the first time this year, for he was. Oh, I'm sorry, to and <laughs> and he also got into UTMB. So, this was the trifecta of every race. Jesus,
0: dude, you win the lottery? You like legit <laughs> won the lotteries. I, t- I tried to time it all for one year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then COVID hits. That's horrible. Well, by
0: the time you get to run all three, it'll be 2030, right? I mean, just. Oh, great.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so, before we go, um, and we end with a little rapid fire, uh, just ask you 10 fun questions. But before we do that, where can people find you? on the web and what have you got coming up next uh
0: they can find the human potential running series on our website www.humanpotentialrunning.com our podcast is the ultra stories podcast uh you can find that pretty much everywhere stitcher itunes TuneIn radio google play music iHeartRadio, radio spotify i don't know if i said that anyway <laughs> um would love to have their uh their listenership as well um Uh, yeah. And what's next is, uh, we're year round. So my next, um, my next race is on February 6th. And last year I showed up the day before there was two feet of snow on the ground that just fell. Uh, so I showed up with my trailer and a shovel (laughs) and the land manager was like, you're not serious. I'm like, I'm dead serious. And we dug out an aid station and and had over 200 runners and two feet of snow. It was amazing. So, wow. yeah, we're just uh, I'm going on vacation here next week, uh, well earned vacation, and then uh, we get back right to it here after the new year.
3: After uh, for all your events, which one would you recommend for us?
1: Yeah, we want to come and volunteer and
3: race and race. So, so,
1: which one would give us the best
3: experience yeah. of?
0: Wow, that is a hard question. <laughs> Probably Sangre de Cristo ultras in September has become our best weekend of the year.
3: That's probably um, good because we have to train six months through the winter. so Yeah, yeah. September's
1: a good time for us to run or uh, race. Although that's,
3: that's where we have our events. <laughs>
1: yeah, so when we're retired.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, if if you're not going to do that, I would say Overheels uh, um, or Sheep Mountain, uh, one of those two weekends in Fair Play. Just being up high in beautiful Colorado high country is... Perfect. It's really cool that that August race. The wildflowers are out, and it just smells like lavender everywhere that you go. Oh, wow. So, mm-hmm. um, Amazing. I I like to recommend that one too: Sheep Mountain Fifty or the Fifty K. Okay, all right.
1: Just first thing that comes into your mind. You ready?
0: All I- right, got it. Yeah.
1: Split shorts? Yes or no?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> <Ew>. Worst.
1: What? <laughs> I imagine you have nice quads if you're a hiker. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but that's a little too close to showing something that it doesn't need to be shown.
1: <laughs> On that note, worst place you've chafed?
0: <laughs> oh, definitely my asshole.
1: <laughs> have you lost a toenail?
0: Two. I still have them.
1: What? Sorry, can you say that again?
0: <laughs> you heard that right. Two of them, and I still have them. I oh. saved them. Oh, <laughs> in a drink? No, they're they're toenails. <laughs> yeah. They're in a drawer uh, oh. in my desk. <laughs> they're in a drawer in my office. In Alaska, uh,
3: there's a there's a drink where you where you, they, you drink toenails. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. As i, thought a
3: I was side- saving them. Up.
1: As a sidebar, I lost two both my big toes in a in a whirlpool after race, and I put them in the top shelf of our display cabinet in our running store. And no one noticed it for about three months. And they were gnarly, black, disgusting. They were sitting on my bib from the race. You should
3: have put a price tag beside them. And
1: finally, someone looked down and this went.
0: This is one of the most fucked up things I've ever done. I
1: know, right? Literally, he w- he looked at it and he went. He backed away. He's like, is that your channel? I'm like, yep. Sold. <laughs> okay. Favorite Fuck. curse word.
0: Fuck. Yeah.
1: Pick a superpower. Your what you oh, would damn. want?
0: Favorite. Superpower. I want to fly, fly, fly. Mm.
1: First thing yeah, you fly. do at a finish line when you cross?
0: Breathe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you could travel back in time, what period would you go to?
0: Oh, uh, the eighteen hundreds um, after the Civil War. So when uh, they started pushing west.
1: Nice. Nice. A favorite junk food.
0: Is pizza a junk food?
1: No. That's a food
0: group. That's a fast food. <laughs> Not a junk food. I like your style. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> caramellos.
1: What's that? <laughs> it must be you American. <laughs> it must be.
0: <laughs> uh, caramello. It's, um, it's just a chocolate bar with caramel inside.
1: Oh, we I,
0: don't have those. Like a, like a rollo. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Have you heard of um, butter tarts? No really
1: wow
0: (laughs) big up in here i didn't
1: know that was canadian until very recently Mm -hmm. and by saying sorry a in a canadian accent which i just gave. sorry (laughs) say sorry sorry sorry
0: (laughs) again i'm from new hampshire and uh my my family's french canadian my my mare actually spoke french fluently uh I have no idea as a kid what her and my dad were talking about. I know she was bitching about me, but I have no idea what she said. <laughs> um, but we used to say, I come from the west side of Manchester. I troll my wife down the stairs the kiss. Uh, the next time you go through my yard, you go around. Um, yeah, that's, that's the extent of my french Canadian. Uh, yes. but to all those people out there who I just offend, I sorry a. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, John. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, and and good luck on your podcast uh, journey, guys. And uh, you know, I I know you listen to my program. If if you guys need any help, if you need any advice, guidance, you just want. To be a part of fellow RDs that bounce ideas off each other. We'd love to have you guys. Um
3: sure you know,
0: anything we can do to make this the sport better all around. You know, let's let's do it. Let's do it together.
1: Awesome. When
3: the world opens up, we'll come down and
0: see yeah, you.
1: Yeah, absolutely do. we will. Okay. Cheers. Merry Christmas.
0: Cheers. <laughs> happy holidays to you guys. Happy is it Boxing Day? It's boxing ha- day.
1: Uh we have Boxing Day the day after Christmas.
0: That's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, happy
2: boxing day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Bye.
2: All right, guys. <laughs> Bye. Ooh, that was quite the marathon. Thanks for listening to the Gotta Run Racing podcast with your hosts, Norman and Jody. Please visit us at gottarunracing.com for more information on our events or simply drop us an email at gottarunracing at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel to stream the video version of this episode. Oh, and if you like my voice, check me out at tylerherchuk.ca T-Y-L-E-R H-Y-R-C-H-U-K Gotta run!